Welcome to episode four of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for your hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to juniors and pros. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all happenings in Ohio hockey. My name is Tim Sullivan. I'll be joined by Jason Lewandowski and producer Dan Humphrey. We are hoping to add a different element to the Digest with interviews and other such contents bringing voices, names, and faces to interesting people, making the Ohio hockey community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by the Mentor Icebreakers. Do you have any young hockey fans in your family? Sign them up for the Mentor Icebreakers Kids Club. They will get free kid club t-shirt, free admissions to select home games with a paying adult, special events only open to kid club members, a chance to partake in the on-ice intermission games. Heck, you might not know. They might even get to drop the puck at the start of a game. Go to www.mentoricebreakers.com or call 440-290-8502 to sign up today. Sorry, Lev, but you got to be 16 years or younger. Wow. A couple big interviews last week when we had Russ Sankowitz on and Matt Buss. It was nice to hear from Russ. Um, As we know, Russ is doing some really good things. Uh, with the Ohio Hockey Project, uh, but it was nice to hear his his route from youth hockey to the pro, uh, and also what he's doing uh, amongst this COVID nineteen virus as we're all locked down and as he's trying to help kids train virtually. Yeah, I just saw a video of him the other day doing a nice ab workout in his house, uh, just working hard. That's Rust. Right, right, and he's getting one day close closer to becoming a dad and so he's gonna definitely be running around chasing a little one around what do they say? it's also nice to hear what do they say? i'm sorry what do they say burning that 400 he's just yeah. up there burning that 400 you just got to burn that 400 it was okay. also good to catch up with coach bus uh coach bus had an interesting track uh first year uh behind the bench of the new albany eagles takes him to the final or frozen four boom ripped right out from underneath him and his team and it was kind of interesting to listen to how he him and his team handled that and how they went through that that adversity yeah, you know, all the stuff that they do behind the scenes and where they went down to Nationwide and they were getting a tour and while on the tour, well, everything just got shut down. So, you know, there's a lot of things that were, I don't want to say taken from these kids, be it seniors, be it athletes, you know, the whole spring sports canceled in, in Ohio, others, other states as well, I'm sure. But uh, it was interesting to hear his energy. Uh, he's got a game plan heading into next year. After dealing with this adversity, it only makes people stronger and better. He had a really good... Uh, he had a really good uh, mentality on it, I guess. He was very positive about the whole situation. Right, very positive, which is good. So we focused the last uh, four episodes or three episodes a lot on local and state of Ohio, mostly into the youth or high school side of it. We're going to get a chance today that we're, we're going to jump and we're going to jump to the pro side of it today. We're going to go from one uh, side of the spectrum to the other. Uh, we're gonna, first person we're going to talk to, we're going to sit down with Sebastian Ragno, who's a new head coach of the Federal Prospect Hockey League's Mentor Icebreakers. We'll also be chatting up with Aaron Portsline. Aaron Portsline is a Columbus Blue Jackers reporter from The Athletic. He's going to talk about some few signings. What's the state of affairs in the NHL right now? Will it start back up? Will it not? What's going on with the Blue Jackets? I, I Look, I, I'm really excited to, to talk to both these gentlemen today and look forward to getting some insight on, on both sides of the pro 
uh, game close to us from Columbus to Matter. Well, like you said, you know, you have uh, uh, Coach Rags that uh, jumped in uh, uh, about eight games left in this before the season got shut down with Menner. Uh They were on an upswing. I believe they won their last game. A lot of positivity brewing over there in Menner. And, uh, you know, he's he, he was interim, and he just had the tag lifted. And then we switched gears and go right over to Aaron Portsline of the Athletic and the Columbus Blue Jackets. A couple big signings in the net for the Blue Jackets and some other news that uh, I'm sure hopefully we can drag out of them. You know how those writers, they don't like to give away things. But Well, you got to remember, he also he also writes for uh, Coach Torch, so he, he might be a little tight-lipped as well. <laughs> We've all seen those uh, press conferences. Well, let's hope he has a good story. Right, right. So that's who we're going to catch up with today. What's going on with you guys? Anything new? Uh, another week. Uh, another week of us getting closer, hopefully, to uh, bringing some normalcy back to our lives not only here in the great state of Ohio, but uh, across the world as well. Well, let's see. The mayor just earned a mayor. Governor DeWine, wine with DeWine. Uh, he, uh, he opened up a few things starting what is a, it's a, what's it go? The fourth, the 12th and something else. Yeah. I, I, I don't Fourth and the 12th. Yeah. Okay. So things are starting to open up a little bit slowly, but surely the smart way to do it. I mean, he's done a heck of a job in, I guess, for lack of better terminology, flattening the curve and keeping us healthy as much as he can. And uh, other than that, man, I'm gr- I'm still groundhog day until at least the first. So that's all I got. I, I am. I do have a question. I'd like to hear about smoking with Sully. Oh. Well, I, I bought a smoker. Uh, I had one before I bought a new one. Uh, this is the pro line. I had to jump up my game, uh, decided to, to do, my first, my first smoke in the new smoker was ribs and bacon. I decided to smoke some bacon. It was very delicious. We went low and slow, about six and a half hours for the ribs. And uh, I had the bacon on the top rack. And it was dripping all down onto the uh, ribs. It was delicious. It was delicious. When, when's the cooking segment for, yeah. for the podcast? Well, I, I got to get a little bit better than that. Then, I mean, it was good, trust me, but I don't know if it was uh, barbecue you know, like if you go to like one of those rib burnoffs, I don't think it was that good, but we'll see. Although my, my kids and wife enjoyed it and that's all that matters. So I can be a hero, <laughs> hero to them. I can be pit master Tim over in my own domain over here. I love it. What about the dog groomer? Danny, what's good? Well, I'm thinking about taking my talents from uh, dog grooming to my own head here pretty soon. It's, uh, it's getting a little difficult. I'm not, I'm not liking the hair, but the only thing stopping me is the wife telling me not to. Not to shave it, mean? so. What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, starting to get back in the normal swing of things. I was up in at school today, and we're putting together our plans on how we want to handle graduation with our seniors, and you know, going forward with ending out the school year, and then, you know, already think about what next year is going to look like. Um, they're saying everything from starting the year online learning or you know extended school days making different shifts so now it's just trying to figure out what all that's going to look like moving forward yeah we are definitely in a new normal for sure man and and again you know you talk about all your your seniors in high school your seniors in college i mean heck even go down to your eighth graders you know they they, you know all those eighth grade kids throughout the state throughout i mean i know our state does a lot of eighth grade uh, trips to washington dc you know those were all gone. I mean, there's a new normal is, is approaching and 
you know, I was laughing when you guys were talking about cutting your hair, Danny, because uh, we do for our listeners out there, we do this through video. I know you guys only get it audio, but we do it through video. Lev took his hat off and it looked like he stuck his finger in a sock and his hair was just shooting right up. <laughs> it was it was great, man. It was. Great. I don't know. I don't know why I wear a hat. I mean, I shouldn't wear the hat and just let it go. But I like to be respectful of you guys. Nobody else can see it. That's good. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, even though there's been nothing going on in hockey uh, per se, there's some been some good news uh, lately. Uh, we'd like to congratulate Ohio and Cincinnati Cyclones' own Chris Burke. Chris was named to the 2019-2020. East Coast Hockey League Equipment Manager of the Year. That was presented by Warrior Hockey. Uh, this w- winner was determined in a vote of the league's equipment and athletic trainers. This marks the second time in his career that Burke received the Equipment Manager of the Year. Uh, he also re- received it previously in 2005 and six when he was with the Fresno Falcons. A native of Cincinnati, Burke began his career with the Cyclones, working with the team for four seasons, including one as the head equipment manager. You know, I all of us have been in this game at whatever level it may be that we've been at. I don't care if it's at the, you know, youth level, high school level, college or whatever it is. And whether it's football, hockey, basketball, soccer, it doesn't matter. The, the guys and gals that take care of our equipment, take care of our, our, you know, the, the athletes injuries and bodies, you, you got to give a, a clap to them. They are a couple stick taps to them because they are do they do a hell of a job and they keep everything in order. Probably the most important guys in the building. You know, they, 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 you have an equipment need, they got it. You have health problems, docs there, training staffs there. I mean, look at the number of guys in visiting buildings that go down. You know, you had a couple of cardiac episodes uh, in the last few years, especially the one with uh, the one in St. Louis, Jay Bowmeister. I don't believe they were, they, they were not in St. Louis when it happened. And the visiting training staff took care of them and the docs and the hospitals and they're, they're, the key part to making our game go for sure. Congrats to Chris. Other news, the Regina Pats of the Western Hockey League have selected Connor Bedard with the number one pick in this year's WHL Bantam draft. Bedard, 15 years old. I say again, Bedard, 15 years old from North Vancouver, British Columbia, is the first exceptional status player in WHL history. Bedard has signed a standard player, player agreement with the Pats. While playing for West Vancouver Academy Prep U18 this season, Bedard put up 43 goals, excuse me, 41 assists for 84 points and 32 penalty minutes while playing in 36 games. Exceptional status in the CHL is only declared for the elite 15-year-olds deemed worthy of joining the major junior ranks a year early. Others granted exceptional status from the Quebec Major Junior League, Joe Volano, from the Ontario Hockey League, John Tavares, Aaron Ekblad, Sean Day, Shane Wright, and Connor McDavid. Well, I'll tell Fifteen. You what, Connor, Fifteen. Connor's in pretty good. He's in pretty good company right there. I can tell you that. Wow. Thirty-six games played. Right. Thirty-six games played. Eighty-four points. Fifteen well years done, old. young man. Well done, young man. Well done. Right. He's, oh, by the way, he's playing at an eighteen-year-old level. Good job. That's right. Well, right up the road, up I-90, you got the Erie Otters, uh, and they got a commit from uh, their number one draft, or their first-round draft pick, Spencer Sova. Erie Otters general manager Dave Brown announced today that the 2020 Ontario Hockey League priority selection first-round pick, Spencer Sova, committed to the team and completed the OHL 
standard player, player agreement. Sova, 6'1", 174-pound defenseman, was taken eighth overall by the Otters earlier this month at the annual OHL priority selection after appearing in 14 games with Detroit Honey Baked U15 during the HPHL season. The Windsor, Ontario native tallied seven points, two goals, five assists, along with 15 penalty minutes during the 2019-2020 season. The 16-year-old also spent time with the Honey Baked Midget squad, playing in 57 games, averaging a point per game. Also interesting news with the Otters. In the second round, the Otters chose Lucas Ross from the U15 Pittsburgh Pens. Uh, what's interesting to that is uh, Ross was a commit to the Buckeyes, Ohio State Buckeyes. But he signed with the Otters, so therefore he gave up his right to play in the NC2A. We have a guest coming up in a couple of weeks, Ian Moran. Ian Moran played for the Penguins, played for the Bruins, played for the Ducks. Um, Ian Moran is a scout that scouts these 15-year-olds. So between his last two news stories, you know, I'd love to get, and I look forward to getting his take on the 15-year-olds going to the junior, major junior A route or the 15-year-olds going to the college NCAA route like he did. Look forward to talking to Ian about that stuff. NWHL is expanding to Toronto with the sixth team. Professional women's hockey is set to return to Canada with the National Women's Hockey League announcing Wednesday it is expanding into Toronto. The yet-to-be-named franchise has an ownership group led by former Harvard captain Joanna Boynton, features former Brown coach Margaret Murphy as its president, and already has five players under contract. Launching our first team in Canada is a pivotal and proud moment for the NWHL, league founder and commissioner Danny Ryland said in, in the statement. The Toronto team increases the U.S.-based NWHL's number of franchises to six and comes a year after the Canadian Women's Hockey League folded after 12 seasons because of financial instability. The NWHL was founded in 2015, becoming North America's first pro women's league to pay its players a salary. It currently has teams in Boston, Monmouth Junction, New Jersey, Danbury, Connecticut, Buffalo, New York, and St. Paul, Minnesota. In Blue Jacket news, Elvis Marslinkins signs a two-year extension. Columbus goaltender Elvis Marslinkins had his contract extended by the Blue Jackets for the next two years. He was set to become a restricted free agent this summer. Mars Lincolns took over the starting job for Jonas Corposalo when Corposalo injured his knee in December. Elvis went 12-5-4, including an 8-0 record from January 11th to February 7th with a 1.00 goals against, a .967 save percentage, and five shutouts. Mars Lincolns was selected in the third round, 76th overall, in the 2014 NHL Draft. Look forward to talking to our guest today, uh, Aaron Portsteiner, about that as well. So, a uh, little local high school news. There's a coaching vacancy at Kenston High School. The Bombers are seeking a new bench coach for 2000-2021. Kenston High School is looking for a new head coach for its varsity hockey program. Tom Fritchie guided the Bombers for the past three seasons, compiling a record of 64-38-1. and in 2019-2020, the team completed in the red division of the Greater Cleveland High School Hockey League, going 12-21-0, including a 2-10 mark in the division. Kenston qualified for the Barron Cup and won a game in the Kent District Tournament before their season came to an end at the hands of Walsh Jesuit 4-2. The Cincinnati Inquirer announced its 2020 All-Stars for the Cincinnati High School Ice Hockey Region. Player of the Year, congratulations to Ben Schreider of Talawanda. 
the junior forward was named honorable mention all Ohio after helping lead Telewanda to a Southwest Ohio high school hockey league championship. Also congratulations in order to a future guest of the on air podcast, coach Zach Sens, also of Telewanda in his first season at the helm of his alma mater Sens led Telewanda to a 31, eight and two record and the program's first Southwest Ohio high school hockey league title in 11 years. Talawanda was the last greater Cincinnati team remaining in the state qualifying tournament, falling in the third round after wins over Springboro and Thomas Worthington. Congratulations to both guys out of Cincinnati. Yeah, congratulations to Coach Zenz. We look forward to talking to him soon here. Uh, some local prospect drafted and signed this week. Uh, we, we're going to congratulate some young men that have uh, pushed their career to the next level. Uh, first of all, congratulations to Jimmy Roberts of Pennsylvania Northview on signing with the Toledo Cherokees of the USPHL. Congratulations to Holy Name's own Brennan Dickey on signing with the Northern Cyclones of the NCDC. Congratulations to Alex Toth of Menor High School on signing with the Columbus Mavericks of the USPHL. Congratulations to Sean Donovan of North Olmsted High School on being drafted by the Sheridan Hawks of the NA3HL. And congratulations to Griffin Muir of Sylvania Northview on being drafted by the Northeast Generals of the NA3HL. We would love to shout out all the players moving on. Please send your announcement to Scott at OhioHockeyDigest.com or tag Ohio Hockey on Twitter so that we can get you on the show and show you the proper congratulations that you deserve. Congratulations to all those young men on moving on to the next level. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by the Menor Icebreakers. Whether it's your company's clients, sports team, school, club, church, or friends and family, a Menor Icebreakers game is a great place to host your next outing. Groups of 10 or more people are eligible for discounts online. There are even several ticket packages to choose from based on your interest and budget. They have catering and a private room for your use to rent. Go to www.mentoricebreakers.com or call 440-290-8502 to learn more. Today's first guest is crisscrossing all over the Midwest as the vice president of ETM Goaltending, improving netminders as he goes. He was just named a USA Hockey Goaltending Development Leader. Most importantly, his interim tag was just lifted and he has become the new head coach of the Mentor Icebreakers of the Federal Prospects Hockey League. Please welcome to On Air, the pride of Johnstown, Pennsylvania, Sebastian Ragno. How you doing, Coach? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Congratulations on the the the, uh, the head job, buddy. Thanks, very, Les. Very happy. Very happy for you, bud. Very happy. Appreciate that. Absolutely. We're going to talk about a lot of different your paths in hockey, what you're doing with the goaltending. Um, you know, you're a young guy taking over a pro team. So we're going to break that all down today. But uh, first and uh, most importantly, how have you been holding up during this whole COVID-19 and everyone just kind of staying away from each other as you just get hired uh, as a head coach? Yeah, it was kind of unfortunate. Our season got cut short when I was, uh, you know, under the interim tag. But um, moving forward, I've been able to work from home, fortunately, and uh, do a lot of our recruiting um, you know, kind of do some zoom calls and stuff like that with management to, to set up our training camp and our free agent camp, um, you know, trying to continue to move forward, uh, during the lockdown. 
um, you know, my, my girlfriend's a nurse dealing with all this on the, on the front lines. So trying to keep her happy and sane during all this too has been, been great. Yeah. From the, from the digest, make sure that you tell her thank you for what she does uh, because it, it's not easy during these times. Absolutely. Uh, let's kind of go backwards a little bit. Uh, coach, tell us about your path in hockey leading up to the icebreakers. Yeah. So I grew up in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Um, at the time it was home to the Johnstown chiefs of the East coast hockey league. Um, since then they've become the Johnstown Tomahawks in the North American uh, junior hockey league. Um, I, I played house hockey for the Johnstown warriors, Johnstown jets. And then I went on to play travel for the mid state Mustangs, which was run very similar to team Ohio here in Ohio, uh, that I actually used to work with. Um, from there, you know, I played high school at the same time. We won a national championship uh, with Mid-State. Um, one of my teammates is current Pittsburgh Penguin, Sam Lafferty. And we actually played Team Ohio at Nationals. So that was kind of a funny twist to, to my career there. <laughs> yeah, now, now you're here working with them, getting them better. Yeah, exactly. So it was kind of funny walking into their, their facilities for the first time and, you know, wearing their apparel and that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I, guess bet you took, I bet you took some heat from guys back home, huh? Yeah, I heard about it a little bit. Um, unfortunately, their their programs kind of um, you know fallen off just a tad. Um, it, you know, definite change in the coaches and stuff like that. So, not as many people around there that I that I was involved with. Um, but yeah, it was kind of funny. Uh, my brother played as well for Mid State, so you know, hearing from him and a couple of the guys I played with was kind of kind of interesting. Um, hey, hey, money money's still green, buddy. Money's always green. Doesn't matter where you go. <laughs> um so from from there uh I actually took my freshman year off at Kent State um I I was planning on just pursuing a degree um the hockey gods kind of got back to me on my sophomore year though and you know brought me back in uh and I played a year for Kent State um from there, I actually spent half of my junior year in Europe, so I had to redshirt that season, and then uh, decided to just focus on my degree again my senior year. Um, that's when I started to get into coaching. So, um, so started off with the Kent Cyclones there, and then got involved with the USA Mid-Am uh, and Kent Hockey Schools, and from there, the, the rest is kind of history. Nice. Well, what, what drew your interest to being here with hockey in Cleveland and with the Icebreakers? Um, first I actually, I got an architecture job right out of school. Um, and I, I planned on just pursuing that. And then, um, uh, I, I ran a camp with my current partner, Nick Mish back home in Johnstown and it went really well. And, um, he was kind of looking for a little venture and I was looking for one at the same time. And we decided that it would be good to try, you know, try to grow hockey through our experiences in goaltending. And, um, you know, I, I reached out to a bunch of local teams here in Cleveland and kind of got started. And um, I, I've loved it here ever since. I, I don't want to move. Um, but, you know, I, I've grown to love the, the Cleveland atmosphere in hockey and, you know, all the different levels from, uh, you know, teams I work with like Winterhurst um, all the way up to, uh, you know, uh, Culver Academies over in Indiana. And then, of course, the Icebreakers here in Ohio. So so as a, as a transplant, Coming into Cleveland, I guess the, the big question is that every Clevelander wants to know, are you a West Side or East Side guy? <laughs> um, so I, I've been both now. Um, I actually I lived in uh, Lakewood for 
about two years. Um, and then my girlfriend currently lives in Menor, so I've been kind of living with her off and on uh, since I took the icebreakers job. There you go. There you go. The West Siders, they will, they'll, they won't hold anything against you, I promise you that. <laughs> hey, when you you said you were at Kent and your time there and you were able to play for Coach Underwood, can you can you talk us about that experience uh, playing playing for Coach Underwood and also playing at Kent State University uh, uh, with what a great university that is? And he's done a nice job of uh, really building a good culture of that program with has his ACHA Division One team now as ACHA Division Three team as well. Yeah, it was it was a great experience for me. Um, you know, coming in my sophomore year after taking a year off and, you know, uh, really trying to get back into the game, trying to get my, you know, my vision back as a goaltender and that kind of stuff. He was very forgiving with that and uh, gave me all the resources I need to be able to train to get back into shape and that kind of stuff. Um, he's done a really, really good job of growing that program. I know right before I got there, they were, uh, you know, not doing so well. That was right about the time that he came in. And really turned it around to a couple playoff runs. Um, you know, I, I believe they're in the national championship the year before I got there as well, or not the the tournament at least. Um, you know, so he's done a really good job and has gotten uh, Zach Noack involved as well, who's done a very very good job with the D three team, uh, with coaching the goaltenders and really growing you know hockey in Cleveland. Zach's the coach of the Division three team, correct? Yeah, he's the head coach of the D three team and the assistant with the D one team. Nice, nice. How do you think, Coach, the goaltending position has changed or goalies have changed during your time with various groups, you know, such as the, in the Mid-Am uh, system or Culver, Johnstown, Team Ohio, all the others you have a hand in? What, what differences do you see? What changes have you seen occur in the position over the course of all your years of involvement? Um, I think the biggest change as of late has been the attention to goaltenders itself. I, I think that previously they were just thrown aside in the corner, told to do up downs, that kind of thing where, um, you know, head coaches, assistant coaches didn't necessarily know how to deal with goaltenders other than they like to see shots, you know? So um, I, I think there's been a huge change in, you know, goaltenders having availability as far as goaltending specific coaches um, as well as, you know, head coaches and assistant coaches being able to um, assist the goaltenders in their development and really, you know, make them feel like a part of the team rather than just an outcast. You know, everyone always says goalies are weird, but it's, it's become, you know, more that goalies are one of the most important parts of the team now rather than, you know, just thrown aside. Um, I think... The availability to the training is absolutely huge. You know, it's it's not just on ice either. It's off ice. It's goaltending specific hand-eye coordination. Um, I, I actually just got off a, a call for um, some mental training type stuff that, that I can work with my goaltenders on. Uh, so it, it's a huge dynamic position that, you know, everybody's starting to learn a little bit more about. And it, it really helps the development as a whole. Hey, Coach, question for you. We're going to kind of transition uh, from the technical side of hockey to now the coaching side, which is very technical, as we know. Sure. Um, this will be your first uh, head coaching position um, at the pro level. And, you know, we were very you know, happy for you and congratulate that. You know the old saying, anyone that's coached before, the old saying is coaches are hired to be fired, right? Yeah. Um, what's your plan mentality for this season? And continuing on with the icebreakers, like, I mean, the way that the season ended it wasn't ideal for anybody, especially for a guy now who is going to take over a coaching position. 
um, and a young coach like yourself. So what, what's your plans? Um, I, I've been telling everybody I've got two goals this season. Number one is advanced players. As we're a development league, I think that's really important that you know we start to advance players at a higher rate than we previously saw with the icebreakers. Um, unfortunately, you know, some familiar faces might end up moving up or, you know, uh, moving along in their careers, but that's, that's part of our job, um, to, to show success in that realm. Um, you know, my second goal is obviously win a championship. I, I think that there was some leeway previously. Um, you know, so there wasn't necessarily an attitude that, or a culture that, um, that brought a ton of winning to Mentor. Uh, you know, in our first season, it was pretty tough. Last year, we started off really hot, lost a couple of key players, and then uh, struggled after that. Um, so when I took over, I really, really kind of cleaned house with guys that I didn't think were were of that caliber to really bring a championship in. And, um, you know, I've been taking the steps over this offseason to make sure that we're fielding a team that, A, is going to have guys that are, you know, well beyond our level and might get called up. And B, we're going to have guys that, you know, are, are able and adequate to play at this level and, uh, you know, really bring a, a championship team to matter. Um, I, I don't want to hear about, you know, us being uh, an easy opponent. I don't want to hear about other teams, you know, us not having a chance to win against other teams because it's, it's truly going to change this year with the lineup that we're going to have. So it, it, finding players and recruiting for the team, you know, uh, it's a tightrope act, as you know. Yep. Uh, you want to find the best players possible. That's obvious. And, but guys that are going to the, the American League or the Coast uh, are not really candidates for this level, I guess. You don't really want to burn too many calories chasing them. What kind of player is the perfect fit for the Icebreakers and the Federal League, and where do you find them? Um, a lot of my recruiting has been the D3 NCAA level or the D1 ACHA level. Um, I, I keep a, a pretty ongoing list of guys that are signed with other teams. Um, so I'm not really wasting my time. It's pretty easy to find those, you know, that stuff online, uh, with technology now. So I keep a pretty running list. I reach out to a bunch of coaches, um, you know, as a coach, you got to try to trust others and trust their word and trust their instincts and their abilities. Um, you know, so if they say that, you know, a lot of coaches have experience playing pro or being around these levels. So if they say that they have a guy that would fit our level, um, you kind of go out on a branch and trust them. And if it works out great. Uh, and if it doesn't, you kind of don't trust them next time, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's, it's definitely a tightrope act trying to find guys, um, that, that will play for us, um, mm -hmm. and not get caught up. But, you know, I want guys that will play for us and will get caught up. If they leave mid-season, then I'm doing my job and they're doing their job. Um, you know, it, uh, another key aspect is going to be whenever um, the SPHL and even the East Coast potentially have their tryout camps and, you know, guys go to their tryout camps and get cut and they might not have one or two things they need to make that level, but you know, they'll do really well at our level, develop for a couple months or a year, and then get back up there the next season. Nice. Hey, Coach, with the recent signing of William Sandstrom, what other additions or needs are on the horizon for the icebreakers that we can look forward to hearing about? Uh, I guess you guys will kind of get first glimpse. We just uh, re-signed our starting goaltender, Jake Mullen. Um, that's, a, that's a big plus good, for us good. to have Jake coming back. Nice. Um, We'll also uh, 
We have a couple other of our defensemen will be returning. Um, I'm working on bringing in a top end forward. Uh, it was probably going to be a first line guy for us was a very, very leading scorer in the WSHL. Um, I have a couple uh, foreign guys that I've been talking to that are also going to be, you know, high key guys that were two or three points a game in junior or other uh, lower pro leagues that they might've played in. So um, we have a definite void in, in our scoring. Uh, we unfortunately got rid of a couple of guys that were key pieces um, in kind of future moves towards the end of last season. Um, you know, kind of a fix for now, which ended up working out in our favor since the season ended anyways. But, um, you know, we have, we have a lot of key additions that are coming in and a lot of those aren't sealed yet, but uh, are, are definitely in the works of being very close. That's awesome. Well, Rags, what, what have you seen over your young career? I guess both pros and cons with hockey, be it how it's being played, how it's trained for, the growth of the game. What have you seen in regard to those? Uh, the growth of the game is, is expen exponential right now. It's, um, you know, you see areas like, like Columbus that, you know, were not necessarily hockey towns before that had an NHL team. Um, it's growing like crazy. Their, their hockey community is huge right now. Um, obviously, growing up in Johnstown was a hockey community, and it, it's great. You know, it's, it's great seeing players move on. It's great seeing, you know, the possibility of those youth players having a junior team in their, in their backyard that they can go watch or a pro team here in Mentor that those kids can go watch now and um, really give back to the community. Um, I think as far as the game itself, you know, the, the physicality is definitely dumbed down. Um, I, I'm kind of young, but I grew up in an era where, you know, the Johnstown Chiefs in the East Coast League, there were two, three fights a game and, you know, suspensions every game and that kind of stuff. Um, whereas even in, in our federal hockey league now, uh, our penalty minutes that I saw from our first season to our second season were almost in half. Um, you know, and, and that just shows the, the amount of skill it takes rather than, you know, teams having two, three enforcers that they can put in every other night. They're, they have maybe one, if not, you know, a guy that can put up points and will, is willing to drop the gloves if he needs to. It, it's, it's become a much more skilled game than a, than a finesse game. Um, and, and I think it's great too, right? It's going to lead to a lot, of, a lot less injuries. It's going to lead to a lot less concussions. Um, you know, but you don't want to see the physicality completely gone either. You still want that, that in your game for sure. Now, do, do you see a difference, be it when you're in Johnstown or when you go to Culver or when you're here in Ohio? Is there any sort of difference at all? I mean, obviously, hockey's still the game you put the puck in the net, obvious. Is there I, – I, I don't know. Is there any sort of difference between anywhere in the state, anywhere in the area that, that you cover that – maybe it's different from something you've seen somewhere else. Yeah, I think, um, I think Pittsburgh is much more, uh, tough in my, in my personal opinion. I think it's a tougher place to play. Um, as far as physicality, I, I think that the, the referees are a little more lenient. Um, again, it's been, you know, I don't necessarily coach in Pittsburgh as much anymore for games. Um, but it, it's, it's sort of been a change that I've noticed. Mm -hmm. Um, Ohio, Ohio's uh, definitely more high school based um, with, you know, you got Ignatius, you got Eds, you got, you know, all these high school teams, Gilmore, um, that where they're, you know, 
they're not able to play travel unless they play a pre-post option. Um, in Pittsburgh, you're able to play high school and travel at the same time. So I, I think there's some definite uh, difference in development and the paths that you take as a player as well in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Culver more specifically, you're going to Culver for a great education, but you're also going to Culver for, um, you know, uh, to play in a league level of hockey where you're playing all across the country. So I, I think not only regionally, but it also depends on what level you're playing within those regions. Um, you know, whether it's high school in Ohio or AAA in Pittsburgh or prep with, uh, with a Culver in Indiana. Uh, I understand there's some uh, upgrades in the works for the Mentor Civic Arena, your new arena over there. What can you tell us about those? Yeah, um, I actually just saw the seating plan. We're getting some new seats, uh, new bleachers for the rink, which is going to be really nice. Um, I saw they just repainted the the entire rink pretty much. Um, You know, we're working on some locker room upgrades for the team as well. Uh, So it's going to be really exciting to see how it turns out with, uh, you know, with with the facility that we have and how, how they can upgrade it. I'm really looking forward to it. It's, it's essentially my second home. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, it's good. It's good that, that, that Mentor is putting some money uh, into not only the, the arena, which is already a nice arena, but also into uh, the team and, and, and the program to try to attract fans there. Coach, we can't thank you enough for uh, joining us uh, here on the air. Uh, we look forward to your success with the breakers. We look forward to watching and, and uh, learning more about some of the guys that you're going to be bringing in to play this year. Uh, don't hesitate to ever reach out to us. And uh, again, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, make sure you stay in the loop and uh, icebreakers are going to be pretty hot this year. So stay in the loop for sure. All right. Sounds thanks. good. Thanks coach. Thank you guys. What a great interview with coach Ragno from the Mentor icebreakers. Look, you know, I, uh, truth be told, I've never seen a Mentor's Icebreakers game. Um, I looked over their roster. There's some Jay. There's some guys that we know on that team uh, that we've even coached. I look okay. forward to uh, him, such a young guy, and his enthusiasm and will and drive uh, to to see what happens. A young guy being being put in a pressure situation. Uh, he seems to have a great grasp of of what he wants, what he wants for the organization. Uh, what he what he wants and needs for himself. I mean, obviously, you listen to his his path to where he is today. You know, it, it took a lot of courage, I guess, in a hockey mind, to take a year off and then come back. It took an even bigger, mature step, I guess, to go overseas and study and then come back and realize that it's time to put, I, lack of better terminology, put put my life in gear. And uh, you know, congratulations to uh, to Sebastian and, and and continued success for him. For the icebreakers, I too have not seen a game of the icebreakers. Saw some clips uh, over the course of last year, and uh, looking forward to, to good things for him. Along, you know, the I think way. one thing that some of the listeners might be thinking or wondering is where where do these players go in this from this development league? You know, some of them can go to the Southern Professional Hockey League, uh, which is not a developmental league. Some can go to the East Coast Hockey League, uh, just to have this. Uh, developmental league on, on the pro side, so close to uh, our Cleveland areas, is is it's it's huge for some of our players that might not have and like he, he said it perfectly, might have one or two things that they have to work and fix in order to make it to the SPHL or the East Coast Hockey League or whatever it may be. Absolutely. Well, that was a great interview. We look we look forward to seeing his success 
and uh, keeping tabs on the Menor Icebreakers throughout the year. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by the Mentor Icebreakers. The Mentor Icebreakers Corporate Pass offers flexibility on how to use your Icebreakers tickets. Use them all at once to promote team building, celebrate a holiday or birthday, or another corporate social gatherings. You can reward your employees, entertain clients, or business partners during the season. Go to www.mentoricebreakers.com or call 440-290-8502 to learn more. Without further ado, let's get to our next guest, Aaron Portsline, beat writer for the Columbus Blue Jackets for The Athletic. Our next guest needs no introduction, especially if you are a hockey fan and a Columbus Blue Jackets fan. He's amassed an over 30-year career writing for the Columbus Dispatch, winning numerous journalistic awards, and is currently the senior reporter for The Athletic covering the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's a graduate of The Ohio State University, and he looks pretty darn good on the Jumbotron when he, when he guests on NHL tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, Mountain Vernon's own Aaron Portsline. Gentlemen, thank you. Hey, Aaron, we appreciate you coming on to the podcast, talking a little bit about uh, Columbus Blue Jackets and the state of where everything is at today. Um, so we look forward to having your insight with this. Uh, you know, I know Jay and I have talked numerous times about this was going to be one of our uh, favorite interviews so far because we can kind of get an insight of what kind of what people want to know uh, as much as you can tell us. So, Well, I'm glad you're, uh, glad you're having me on. I appreciate it. So, Aaron... There, there's got, it's got to be a difficult time for uh, not only the athletes and the trainers and uh, everyone involved in uh, sports, and we're going to kind of really narrow it down and funnel it down to hockey and then funnel it down even more to the Columbus Blue Jackets, but it's, it, we all become a creature of habit. Uh, for me, I, I'm an educator, and you know I'm trying to educate from home. Uh, you're a, uh, a writer for the NHL Columbus Blue Jackets. You've been doing this for a long time. What do you do now? Yeah, well, first let me say thank you. Your work is a lot more important than, than what we do. Um, you've got the future in your hands, man. Um, I mean, it, it's a challenge. Honestly, it feels a little bit like the offseason, except there's that awkwardness of you can't fully look forward because it's not quite behind you yet. Um, you know, and, you know, honestly, I've struggled with the idea of, like, it. you know, I, I keep writing – and hearing people say, oh, there's a silver lining that behind this this uh, coronavirus, that the Blue Jackets could be healthy on the other side of it. And I'm like, oh, silver lining is the way we should be looking at this. Because there are like 50,000 people in this country who have passed away, right? So like there's a seriousness about it where I go, okay, you know, don't certainly write about the injuries and who could be back, but let's not look at it as a silver lining. I think there's been time to... It's, it is a tough thing to do. Do you step back and do you write some large takeout pieces that you've been wanting to write for a while and can't find the time to do? Because, frankly, there's a lot of people, especially at the start of this, that really weren't that interested in a hockey story. They were more interested in, like, what's really going on with the world here. There was almost guilt towards peeling off to do something purely recreational like hockey. So maybe this isn't the best time to write the stories that you're really wanting to to hit a big audience with and really want to do a great job with. 
um, as opposed to day-to-day sort of storytelling. Um, so that, that's, that's been a, a challenge, I think, for a lot of people. Um, access for some in some markets has been difficult, too. I think the athletic sort of strives to be more than just a list website or um, it strives to be a little bit more. It's a subscription site. So you have to give people, uh, you have to do your best to give people really good stuff that they can't get elsewhere. Sometimes you fall short of that, but that should always be the goal. Um, so you don't want it to be sort of clickbait type stuff, uh, but there's not a ton of news either. And so we've tried to be sort of middle of the road with that, have some fun, uh, inform the people when there's stuff to inform the people with. We had a story uh, just a couple of days ago, yesterday about the quiz that Tortorella and the coaching staff are giving the players every Friday which is sort of an important thing to the guys right now. So that's, that's a nice little nugget of news and I thought was a, a fun and interesting and informative story. So I think there's stuff to write. I don't think you want to force the jumper if it's not there, but certainly got to keep producing because people do want to know what's going on with the team. That does not stop. And there's almost always something going on with the team. Like right, right now I spent part of the day trying to hit guys in Europe like, have you been told to get your plane ticket? What are your plans? Like, if some teams are going to target May 15 and have small group workouts, are they? is this when they're going to start asking guys to come back? There's always something to do. Sometimes it shows up in print. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I think everyone's trying to find a balance right now, and it, it's been weird. It's been weird. Well, Aaron, there, there's talk of Columbus being a multi-team hub for the restart of the season to the facilities. Uh, the ice facilities, the hotel accommodations. Can you explain what the NHL is looking for? Well, I can't really because they haven't been clear either. Now they've been, I'm guessing, clear to the teams. Uh, my understanding is they that they have targeted 12 cities and said, make your pitch to be a host city. So they sort of figured out the 12 that would work. Uh, if you think of the, the hot spots in this country in terms of the, the virus, New York's out. Um, I think Detroit's probably out. There's probably, I think LA probably would be out. So they're looking for places where it's been managed well or is manageable. And then they said, make your pitch. So, you know, it's unclear to me and what the team's best approach for that would be. Is it that they could house everything in nationwide arena and the players would only have to go players from all the teams would only have to go from arena to hotel back to arena. Or do they want the teams to come here to also have, like, basically, if you think of it like Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, and this isn't, this is just, spit, there's nothing behind this. I'm just sort of spitballing here. If Pittsburgh and Philadelphia said, you've got the Chiller Easton, and that's where they would go to train, to practice, and they would just come to Nationwide for their games. And so for them, it would be Nationwide Chiller Easton Hotel near Chiller Easton. Um, say two other teams could be at Chiller North and they would do, so say Carolina and the Rangers are at Chiller North and they would take over that rink, practice there, have their training camp there, if you will, and then just be there, hotel and nationwide. Uh, nationwide has capability. Of course, Blue Jackets have a dressing room. There's a visiting dressing room. There are two other dressing rooms between the Blue Jackets dressing room and the home bench that have both, uh, wet rooms or rooms where guys would take their gear off dry rooms where they would change into street clothes after a shower and showers. So that right there is four. 
in the practice rink, there are four locker rooms behind the benches. Uh, and each of them, or two of them, so one and two and three and four share showers. So that could count there as two more dressing rooms. So you could do it so that they basically just do nationwide and hotel. And then the ice house could be a practice facility or games, I suppose. And nationwide could be just for games or practice, whatever. So I'm not sure what the argument is. I mean, it's strange because you think, how would you sell this to the league? And in past would be all the great restaurants, the great parks, the great. <laughs> well, no, they're not doing that yeah, right now. That, that would make a lot of sense. But certainly, you could say these are restaurants that could cater uh, large scale meals and could do it with regularity. Um, yada yada yada. And and everybody I've talked to says that Columbus has got a great pitch and has made a really good, um, you know, offer to the league. This is what it would look like, and the league's been pretty impressed with it. I haven't I haven't heard anything more. Uh, but have you heard and just would the Harbor center in Buffalo be something that could, could follow underneath this model? Um, you know what? I, obviously New York city, New York state are two very, very different things. I'm not sure what the situation is. Buffalo in terms of the virus. Sure. I'm not sure what the numbers are there. It makes sense because you've got so many rinks there. Right. So much. It's so convenient. And I think you've got, it's, it's attached to a, there's a courtyard attached to it, if I'm correct. It's a Marriott. Okay, it's a Marriott. And there's a courtyard just down the street. Yeah, literally right across the street. Yeah, you wouldn't. You don't have to leave. You can get to the Marriott without leaving Harbor Center. Correct. Just walk through the garage there. Yep. If I'm correct. So that that would make sense. Um, I mean, a lot of these new rigs, honestly, are built. They don't have the attached rig. Harbor Center does. It's so close to the the Sabres rink. Not every rink has an attached rink like like Columbus does. Detroit does. Um, does Jersey? Jersey may, um, but but most of these new rinks are the dressing rooms, the locker room capabilities. Most of these new rinks is off the charts. I think back to like the the Penguins dressing room or the visiting dressing room in the Igloo back <laughs> in the day. There are high school teams that would bitch about it. Now. <laughs> that thing was unbelievable, small and just wood pine benches like enjoy for it. After they chase the rats out of it and all the other exactly. critters, how many how many teams are they? Uh, how, in your opinion, I guess how many uh, teams are they looking to to house per section? I guess. Well, my sense is that they want to do it by division. Okay. So, so and, and I'm not sure where this is going. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, you can get yourself in trouble reading into things. Uh, but we're just having a podcast chat here. I could see. I mean, I don't think it's out of the question if you've got the team set up in place. And everybody's safe and it's working. I don't know if you rearrange the Eastern Conference uh, teams so that they can play one and get these guys moving around, if you know what I'm saying. I think you could see something where four plays one and three plays two in each division. And you just do, um, if you're able to finish the regular season, if you're able to sort out who truly is the top eight, I could see a situation where you just play and you come out of your division, the division winners play, and then the champions of each conference play. Right. So there's right. not a ton of moving around. But that's you know, this is stuff that's just been kicked around by people who think they've got a pretty good idea of what the league is looking for in their decision-making. Well, a lot of us have time to figure figure out uh, leagues yeah, right now, right? <laughs> right. Hey, Aaron, quick question for you. We all in, in, in the game of hockey and those that have been surrounded by it, um, and even those listeners that that 
are, haven't been heavily involved in the game of hockey. You know, we know what a normal day looks like for a hockey player, any sports uh, athlete, you know, usually in the hockey world, you get your morning skate, you go home, you get your nap, whatever, you come to the rink, where you do your routine. Yep. What, what's a normal day like for a sports reporter following an NHL franchise? Well, I think as much as you try to make uh, each day be normal, the, the, if you're if you are beholden, if your job is beholden to what other people do, there really is no normal. So you can get into a rhythm where this is this is what the ideal day looks like. Um, and so for like a, a game day, uh, the Jackets don't really skate that much under Tortorella, but if they do skate in the, the classic sense, a team that has a morning skate. Um, you, you get there, you watch the morning skate, you figure out the lines, the pairs, see who's on the ice and who isn't. And then right after the morning skate, you've got access to the room. So you go into the room, you, you mill about, you talk to guys. Um, you know, typically on game days, you're not having an extended interview about a feature story you're working on. Things are pretty, pretty quick, nothing too long and, and drawn out. And then after that, I live out um, in, near Granville, Ohio. So if I go in and out twice in a day, it's three hours of driving, which kind of sucks. So I tend to stay down uh, there on game days. You can watch the visiting team skate. Uh, their room opens up after their practice. Their coaches talk. Um, there's a lot of chatter with, between media members. Uh, what's going on? Hey, what are you thinking about this? This kind of stuff. And then I usually peel at least a few days a week. I'll spend an hour minimum making it can be a lot longer than that if people answer um <laughs> making phone calls and it's checking in with agents it's talking to uh broadcasters in another city it's talking to um, former coaches and people i've come to know through the league who are still in the league uh just to get an idea of what's going on what they're hearing what their opinion is about this um i love having People that you can call and say, what do you think about this player? What have you seen? And a lot of times that stuff doesn't even show up. Uh, their direct quotes don't even show up, but it informs your writing. And it allows you to go back and, and watch and consider some of the stuff you've gathered, uh, maybe through a different light. Um, so there's a lot of that. Um, and you know what? I, I, I've been known to uh, get back to the rink. If I, I usually don't go too far, but back to the rink around 4th. 30 and I'll shut her down in the, the uh, parking garage before we go into the game. I'm sure I've scared the shit out of people parking their cars. Yeah, right. uh, looking at them like, oh, yeah. Um, but uh, and then I, I usually get back into the rink around 5 o'clock. And, you know, there's always stuff to write, always stuff to write, always stuff to pull out the tape recorder. Uh, there's people there to have conversations with. So the, the real, um, the, the stuff, the tough stuff is the non-game days. When practice is kind of all over the map in terms of length, typically the time after practice uh, for interviews is longer, is less pressed. And those are the days where you're writing um, a lot and you're not waiting for the game to happen to write after the game. So, you know, the athletic, doing what, what I do for the athletic is, is quite a bit different than what I did for the dispatch. But that is, doing that job is just constant churning of stuff. So there's, you need stuff. Um, and you're gathering stuff constantly to put into the notebook and every little bit of minutia. One thing you learn about hockey fans is there's nothing they don't want to know about the team. Um, it may be minutia to you, but it's a great import to, to readers. And the moment you say somebody's, um, it was placed on injured reserve 
two days ago. They want to know why you didn't know two days ago, didn't report two days ago that they weren't on injured reserve. I didn't <laughs> see that. You did not write that. Um, so there's a record keeping point to that as well. Uh, when you, the way we used to do things at the dispatch, uh, the athletic is a little bit different where you're writing not day to day necessarily, but you're spending more time on stuff and you've got more time uh, to, to donate to it. So more larger scope type stuff. But, and I say this all the time, the moment you sit down to write something and you can't wait to write it, it's great. That's when something happens on the beat that requires immediate attention and, and it can blow up at any time. Um, we're, we're at the mercy of news. Uh, otherwise, you know, the very definition of news. So there's really no difference. Hey, Aaron, real quick, you do some traveling with the team, you know, and I guess, you know, what, what hockey-wise, what's your favorite city to visit when it comes to hockey? Uh, I mean, in terms of Vancouver is just stunning. It's just absolutely beautiful. That's It's kind of different because there's, you know, I think we think of things in a different way. People who, who cover a team, you think of uh, proximity and convenience of the city is a big deal. Um, but just going to Vancouver, it just blows you away because it's so beautiful. Um, I love that city. I love the Canadian cities in the sense that every game, every game in Toronto feels like an NFL game. It's just the weight of it. Every game in Montreal feels like it's life or death. Um, but you know, a lot of, a lot of people, I'll be honest, a lot of reporters love coming to Columbus because the chip in from the airport's quick, the hotels are close to the rink, they love the bars and the restaurants around. It's that kind of stuff that, that means a lot. Once you've done it for a number of years, it's going to the city and seeing the familiar faces sure. uh, that you've seen for years. Um, that, that's great, and I'll, I'll always cherish that and the friends you make along the way. But, I mean, the one that, the one that stand, Phoenix is great in January and February, Ohio. LA is great in January, February. Uh, <laughs> Vancouver is absolutely beautiful. <laughs> he, Aaron, you spoke about some signings and some, I guess, uh, a business question, if you will. I, uh, Columbus recently signed Corpusalo, and I'm going to butcher the heck out of this name, Merz Lincolns. Close, Merz Lincolns. Merz Lincolns. Yeah. I'm bad, I'm bad with, with Elvis, European names. Elvis. Yes. Is it possible to keep both and run a, two, a true tandem? Or is it looking like they're possibly going to have to use one on an out in a trade some way, shape, or form? Well, I think the, the best part of the situation for them is that they don't have to do anything. They can do what is best for them. And they can let the market tell them if now is a good time to trade them. Um, I mean, they, they got both of the goalies signed for $6.8 bucks total. They think both of them are number ones. That's a great situation to be in. Um, you know, the market this summer could be a wreck. The salary cap is going to go down almost for sure. Um, and, and it was, it was slated to go up. Was it not? Uh, moderately. Yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. Typical moderate climb. And who knows if the players would have kicked in their, their 5% increase there or not, but it probably would have gone up moderately. Now I don't think there's any way unless they artificially, uh, boost money into the league. I mean, I don't think there's any way it doesn't go down. Um, so that takes an already difficult situation for goaltenders and makes it more difficult. So I, the market this summer for goaltenders, it's been like this before. I don't remember being to this extreme, but there's, there are going to be a lot of goaltenders without a chair to sit in 
when the music stops. Because there's going to be a ton of movement this year. Braden Holby is almost certainly on the move. Uh, Talbot, I mean, you could go. The Rangers have to do something with the goalies. So there's a lot of guys that need homes. I'm not sure this is going to be the best summer for Columbus to move one of those. Those two guys, Corpus Salo or Merzlikens. But the flip side of this, too, is they've got two extensions. They're UFAs in two years. So if you think about this from the other team's percentage or other team's perspective, sorry, they're not going to want to give you too much for these guys in a year when they're heading into UFA status. Now, if they could sign them to extensions, then then your return could could be much larger. But I don't rule out anything, to be honest with you. I think there are teams, and, and maybe the salary cap coming down uh, only improves the chances that, that say, Corpus Allo gets traded for 2.8 salary cap, which is most teams would love to have a $2.8 million salary cap for their starting goalie. Most teams would love to have a 25-year-old goalie who looks like he's doing nothing but going up. Um, so I, I think there's a market there. I just know what the market's going to look like this year. But, you know, I don't think there's any way that they carry both of these guys to term in two years because I don't think either one of these guys, and it's nothing against Columbus, I don't think either one of these guys wants to share a net for the next two years. I think right. both of these guys see themselves as starters, especially Elvis, especially Elvis. Um, he, he, I don't think he wants to be a 35, 45 game guy. He wants to be the guy. Right. And he's 26 years old, which is not old, but as a pro athlete, you're kind of halfway there now. Right. Um, so I think that that decision probably is going to come within a year, uh, possibly as early as the draft this year. But I, I would suspect by this point last year, by this point next year, if not before, they'll move one of those guys. All right. Why did the the league and, and forgive me, I the terminology is well above a, a painter's mentality. Why did the league uh, void the contract of Grigorenko? Well, this is this is one of those uh, this is one of those where I think because the coronavirus is going on and so much feels like it's turned upside down that people momentarily forgot what the rules are. Period. <laughs> like, people people forget about the rules right now yeah. in life. <laughs> well, I don't well, know what day it is, so that's all right. Yeah. Now they could they could sign Grigorenko. First of all, when when the COVID uh, virus struck, or when we first started taking it seriously, you'll recall that um, there was a local. Who was the local kid? Oh, uh, Keeper Sherwood, who was yep. sent down by Anaheim, and the PA did nothing publicly. But there were lots of people that were like, you know, that's a shitty move. Like that is not right. Like they knew he wasn't going to play in the AHL. They just didn't want to pay him. They sent him to the AHL, um, or they cleared him through. I don't even know if they may have been guilted into not officially sending him down, but I think they did. Um, so the league put out a mandate across the league that nobody could sign a contract for the remainder of the season. So nothing, no more contracts for 1920. And you'll notice that there have been in years past. There's been all the college kids that have signed deals. Um, who did it last year for the someone did it? Oh, Andrew Peak did it. Was it last year or the year before with Columbus? So he signs that first year, the last eight games or whatever counted his first year. And then the next year of his entry level deal is the second year of his entry level deal. There were none of those this year because there are no contracts eligible for this to be signed for the season. So the Blue Jackets, I'm not sure what they were thinking. I'm not sure if the league said it's okay, go ahead and do it. 
this should be fine. But they signed Greg Aranko to a deal for next season. And he's not technically a free agent until July 1st. So the player agreed to it. The team agreed to it. They signed him to a contract. They sent it in. And the league has a department called the Central Registry Department where they look at all of the contracts coming in, make sure everything's on, everything's right, make sure everybody's eligible. And that's off alarms because that player's not eligible to be signed until July 1st. Um, I've spoken to Grigorenko. He swears he's... Swears he's not going to talk to another team. You can see Pittsburgh coming in and offering a hundred thousand more or something just to be failed. <laughs> uh, he's not talking to any other teams, and they're both sides say that the deal will be filed on July first. Um, but that that was the deal. That like it's just it's not eligible to be a contract for July first. So technically, it's a technicality. It is technically a technicality. Yes. Oh, perfect. So out of all all, all you've covered with Columbus, I, in a, a strictly opinion. Yeah. What needs do the Blue Jackets have, be it glaring or underlying, that they would need to find players, pick players? Do they have enough in the pipeline that they can fill in for guys that may be moving on? I don't know the, the true contract status of sure. all the players, but. Yeah. Well, this summer is not going to be so much about guys moving on. Um, I think it's going to be more about trades. And I think that's that's what they're going to Attempt to do to move forward. Corpusala could be a trade piece. I suppose Mercedes could be a trade piece as well. Um, I think there's. I, I think there's one. To put it to you this way: I think there's one need, one large, one sort of broad need, and then I think there's a larger issue that they at some point have to come to terms with. <coughs> the first part is they need help up front. Like that team, the way that team is constructed, maybe part of it is just them. They're Youngest players who are their most skilled players growing into larger roles. But I don't know if you want to wait for that because by the time that happens, some of the other guys that are pretty significant players now may be ready to move on. Thinking of Felino, um, thinking of Nyquist, even. Uh, like I don't think they want to wait three or four years for this. So they need help up front. They, this team has to work so hard to score goals. Uh, they don't have, they have good players, they have hardworking players. They don't have that top end game-changing players that if you look around, even just the division they're in, you see them everywhere. Like most teams have three or four of those guys. Columbus needs more difference makers. They're on the way, uh, but it, like Marchenko, the Kirill Marchenko, their prospect who's in Russia, it's going to be in Russia for two more years. You hear nothing but really good things about that kid as being a special player, top six player. When can Texier get there? Will Texier get there? When does Pierre-Luc Dubois take that step from being a number one center because he plays for the Blue Jackets and become a number one center because he's a number one center in the NHL. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he's seen as a number one center here, but then you look at you guys, 40, 49 points, whatever it is, that's not a number one center on a really, really good team. They, that needs to elevate. So how do they get that in there? And I don't think they need a lot, but they just need something sort of re to re configure how they're how they're built up front and one player can slot look look at the difference Panarin made by coming in here everything just positioned in a different spot whoa now that's a that works um they're not that far away but they need that type of player trades is probably the most likely way they're going to get it they don't want to bottom out and draft a guy first or second overall that's how you get those guys uh so i think that's the the sort of broad issue the, the, the larger 
thing that I think is needs to be dealt with, and we'll probably write about this before next season at length, is they keep hanging their hat on being the youngest team in the league. And that's great. It's great. It, tells, it says that you've got a bright future. But at some point, you can't just be the youngest team in the league every year. And sometimes I wonder if that's not a crutch to fall on or to lean on. Uh, they went for it a bit last year. For sure they did. But they're right back this year now to being the youngest team in the league again. They're probably going to be the youngest team in the league again next year. At some point, this thing has to mature and it has to go for it rather than just be the tomorrow team. They're always the team of tomorrow. And they're in such better place now under Kekalainen and and his staff, uh, under Tortorella and his staff, than maybe they've ever been. Certainly sustained play. But I think that that's something that needs to be dealt with because it's great to be young and have this promising future. But at some point, you got to be a team of today. And they, they can't just wait for Pittsburgh's guys to get older and go away because the league never stops, it never stops turning those guys along. I don't know how they get them. That's uh, going to be hard to trade for them, but they may need to be bolder now than they've ever been to make those moves. Right. Um, yeah. you, you, can't put a pri- you can't put a price tag on experience and, you know. Totally. You know. Totally. Hey, uh, Aaron, as, as a reporter who has to go and in, in, in talk to professional athletes, and professional coaches uh, every day. Um, this is kind of a two-part question. I'm sure you've had you have some favorite ones that you like to talk to, uh, but most importantly, can you walk us through how you gain that trust of these athletes that you have to talk to every day? Because we know that you know there are stories that can get blown out of proportion. That you know, it was actually said this way, but written a different way. So some athletes have become numb to uh, providing answers or providing. Uh, interviews. How, how do you gain that trust of the of the players? Well, I, I, it takes time. It takes experiences with that player. Um, one of the things that uh, never ceases to amaze me is oftentimes the players that you have issues with, run-ins with, are the players that on the other side of that, immediately on the other side of that, you have a better relationship with than you do other guys in the room that you've not had that difficulty with. There are guys that I have covered here that when they left town, I thought that they'd be just fine with their life if they never saw me again and could forget everything we'd ever uh, <laughs> talked about in the past. And then you see them later and it's it's totally different. And there's a level of there's a level of mutual respect there that sometimes the player feels reluctant to share while you're working uh, together. Um, you know, I'll be honest with you, the covering hockey is a, is a much different animal than what I grew up covering, mostly which was baseball. Um, covering AAA baseball, the Clippers was, was uh, it was an eye-opener in a lot of ways. Baseball's, baseball, I mean, rule of thumb among sports writers, and I, don't, I think everybody would agree, who's done this, that hockey guys are up here. Baseball guys are, I can't, well, I can't get down there as far as they need to get <laughs> on the average. There are exceptions to both of the beasts, of course. There's some great guys in baseball rooms. Baseball can be really difficult. NBA and NFL guys are sort of right in the middle. Hockey guys are a different thing. So I went from covering baseball where 
you would have a shouting match with the player every three weeks about something, and usually you'd be fine. You, I had a chair thrown at me one time by a pitching coach. It's just <laughs> you're the one guy walking into a room full of guys, and none of them want to be there. Like if you think of AAA baseball, nobody grew up, nothing against the Clippers, I love them, but nobody grew up dreaming of being a AAA baseball player, right? And so that room was filled with guys who have been up and tasted the major leagues and they're back down and they're frustrated. They're guys who have risen up through the system, can't get past AAA, they're frustrated. And then there's a few guys that are fine with being there, but it can be a really difficult situation. And back then we traveled with them, so you're always around them. They got sick of the questions. I get it. I got sick of them too. It was like a traveling frat party. Uh, baseball was tough. And then I go to cover hockey, and it is the major leagues, the NHL. Um, all of those guys back in the day were just fantastic to work with. It's not now like it was back then in terms of just the time, uh, the sitting around, the breezy stories, the, the congeniality. These guys today are prepped and trained on how not to say something from the time they're 12 and 13 years old. Um, but there's still some great guys in there. Uh, there's really, really good people. Just because they don't like the media doesn't mean they're not good people. Some guys love doing it. Some guys don't like doing it. It doesn't mean anything about them, good or, good or bad. But I think you develop trust. Um, I think there's two levels of trust. There's hey, this guy's not going to misuse or misconstrue what I've said to your point. I think there's also a level of trust that that person's not going to write or say something about me that they wouldn't say in front of me to my face. That's not unfair. Um, again, some of the, I mean, I, I wrote a thing and some of the stuff you don't even anticipate. So Derek, remember Derek Dorsett for the blue jackets? Yes. Uh, scrappy. He was fantastic. Still lives in Columbus. Love that dude. Um, and we got along fantastically, but we had, he got hurt. He was, <laughs> was, was out for like a month, came black, came back and played like two games and got hurt. And the headline in, in our blog, I don't think it was in the paper, it was in the blog said, uh, Dorset hurt dot, dot, dot again. Now the person who wrote that headline right here, um, <laughs> meant that to, from almost to the reader's perspective of Dorset's hurt, again, not from the pers the other perspective that he took it as, that uh, I was saying, he's hurt again, like this guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah, right, right. So, <laughs> like, I mean, three days later, he's sitting in his stall, like, hey, Derek, you got a second? And he's like, he's like I, I don't know if I want up and talk to you. Can I cuss on this? Mm -mm. No, preferably okay. not. Okay. I don't know if I want, I don't know if I want to ever want to talk to you. I'm like, Oh, okay. Okay. What's up? Well, what's up? You called me a band-aid. Called you a what? It's a Canadian phrase for a guy that's always hurt. And there were other words in there. And I'm like, no, 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 no. no what I was saying was you called me a band-aid and he was really upset. Um, we got through that. And then from then on, and ever since, we have been fine. And when he retired, I, he, I can't remember how this worked, but he called Elliot Friedman, a guy that covered him in Vancouver, and he let me in on it because he felt like that respect was deserved. And that's the kind of stuff you really, truly appreciate from players. 
that you don't you don't even necessarily anticipate that. Um, so my thing to, to reporters is you don't always have to write stuff that's going to make them happy. They don't respect you if you do that either. But if you tell the truth and you defend what you write and they feel like your heart's in the right place, even if they don't love everything you write, I think that's where you really gain respect. And I don't think that's changed from, from 20 years ago when I started doing podcasts. Right. We have the, the the honor, I should say. I don't know if it's not or not, but but uh, to cover uh, Coach Tortorella. And uh, yeah. I'm sure, uh, I don't know, but have you been out in front of one of his colorful outbursts before or the one that it was directed to? Yeah. Yeah. I would say both of those. Uh, not quite uh, Brooksian as – you know, not quite uh, Larry Brooks. Although one thing that needs to be said here is that is Torts is Torts does have, as you know, breaking news here, a temper. Um, but he, yeah, I think he's a he he might be a YouTube sensation from everyone YouTube and his outbursts. So and, and everybody thinks that's what every day is too. Like they think that's just what his natural setting is or his default setting. Um, almost all of those outbursts are followed up with private conversations. Um, and we've okay. had several of those where he's not happy with a line of questioning. And almost always, I'll tell you this, tell you this too, almost always it's not the question you ask. It's who's asking the question. And if you wrote something, he never reads anything, but he reads everything. <laughs> yeah. so if you wrote something, Thing that isn't right or in his mind isn't right it doesn't matter what question you ask it's common and that's how that's how he he feels like he's defending his players that, that way we have a really good relationship i think but we still have our moments you're always going to have your moments um but yeah I, and don't tell him this but i love covering him love covering him that just aren't coaches in the game today that speak like he does and speak as frankly as he does gets himself in trouble sometimes gets himself in trouble but he tells you sometimes he fights it and fights it and fights it he almost always eventually tells you what is on his mind and is honest more than other coaches are honest today so sometimes it can be frustrating sometimes i know we have to talk to people in the media group off the ledge uh, because of, of the way he responds. But on the whole, and I, this is what I always tell people, we are going to miss him when he's gone because when he's gone, the next guy is going to be super controlled, super vanilla, and is going to say nothing. It's just how it's going to be. It goes back and forth everywhere. Yeah, you, 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 surely can't, you surely can't question Coach's passion for, no. for the no. game, the players, his team. Um, you know, and give me, truth be told, when I when I have seen his outbursts, um, I see a, I, I see the passion for it. Yeah. You know, and and so I, I you know, I mean, I'll, then again, I'm sitting in my living room watching on TV. I'm not being yelled at by yeah. by him in, in the media room. Yeah, Go ahead. yeah. You can't take it personally though. Yeah. You never take it personally. And the other thing is that that and he's always he always grumbles about this. This kind of goes to one of your earlier questions. The toughest, one of the harder thing to realize about about this job is you don't work for the people you see every day. I don't work for John Tortorella. Right. I don't, I don't like to make him happy. I don't, I mean, I, I hope he likes what we've written. I hope he's entertained by it. That'd be fine too. 
but I don't work for him and I don't work for the team. You work for people who you're probably never going to meet. I mean, chances are you're never going to meet the people that you really truly work for. And those are Blue Jackets fans who want to know what's going on with the team. So if you, we had a spat uh, last year about Bob after the Tampa game when he got, when he got suspended, someone's got to find out what happened to Bob. Like you can't just say personal matter, not going to happen. No, 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 no. The fans deserve to know what happened with Bobrovsky that led to his suspension. So you got to put your work boots on and you got to go in, even if you know it's going to piss them off. And that's just, that's just the way it goes. Right. Is, is that, one of the things that I guess endears them to players and I don't want to say alienates them from players, but I've heard where, you know, he's a player's coach yet. Some players love him. Some players don't. I know I've heard Mike Rupp say he loves playing for Tortorella. Yeah. Other players, eh, not so much. Is that that personality where he can chew you out for whatever reason he has, but then have that conversation behind scenes with you after. Yeah. And I mean, it would it would probably be out of line uh, for me to say a blanket statement that the guys that he doesn't get along with are guys that don't have this or that as part of their makeup. I know some really good guys that just did not get along with them. Mark Denis was a former Blue Jackets goaltender, went to Tampa, and he, Tampa and he and Torts just did not did not see eye to eye. But I think it was I think it was Tortorella who said that like two years later he saw Mark Denis and he was so relieved and happy to see Mark Denis extend a hand to him uh, to shake his hand. You know, Torts is an interesting guy. I think most players either appreciate him in the time that they're with him or come to appreciate him after the fact. Um, but some guys don't. Again, but it's that way with every. There's guys that didn't like Todd Richards, and Todd Richards is not a, a belittling, um, you know, confrontational coach at all. Some guys, you've got a lot of guys in that room. They're not all going to like the coach. Torts is an is an easier guy because nothing, nothing slides under the surface with him. Everything's confronted. One thing I've always admired about him, though, and this is true, you can ask anybody who's covered him. You go into these old Eastern. Uh, East Coast, the, the Eastern Seaboard cities, Philly, New York, um, you know, all, all over the Boston for sure. And that guy knows every rink technician, every ice guy in all of those barns. He knows all of the visiting equipment guys in all of those barns. Not, hey, how you doing? But, hey, Bruce, how's, how's Marge doing? Hey, so and so, can you get this to, to such and such over? It's like, and these are cities he's never coached in uh, as a you know full time Boston Philly. He, those are the people that he loves and respects, loves them. Um, and you know, the, the PR staff tells these great stories too about, hey, John, you're promised to do. Oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then three minutes into the thing he didn't want to do, he's having a blast, and <laughs> and he. He's absolutely loving it. It's just he's an, he's wired in his own way. But every there's there's like no there's no launch pad for him. It just comes right out. Uh, he's very spontaneous with his emotions. But that's hey, selfishly, that makes for good stories. Right. 
Well, Aaron, we can't thank you enough for uh, joining us today, um, giving us a little insight from the Blue Jackets. Give us an, an insight about what uh, your daily job is every day and working with an NHL program. And, um, you know, we, we truly do appreciate you joining us as a guest on our podcast today. Well, thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. Anytime, hopefully we do it again when there's actual hockey to talk about. A- absolutely. We'd love to do that. And, and for our listeners, they can go to The Athletic and uh, join and, and read your, your columns, correct? Yeah, theathletic.com. One of the things about The Athletic that I think people love is you can pick, it doesn't have to just be Ohio teams, you can pick all of your favorite teams and select them into your feed. And so it sort of populates your front page as a new sports section with all of your favorite teams represented. So it's all right there. One of the things that people love is that they can be a fan of the Blue Jackets, and there are fans like this, the Cowboys, the 49ers, the Golden State Warriors, <laughs> and you can pick them from wherever. And it all ends up on on your page but yeah theathletic.com and if you buy a subscription every city every story is open great well again we appreciate it thanks for coming on uh we look forward to reading your columns and uh you know maybe we'll see you on nhl uh tonight soon i hope that's the case thanks for having me guys appreciate it absolutely all right thanks Uh, another great interview with Darren Portsline there shedding some uh information on the nhl uh side of the game uh, what an inside track we got there from the guy who writes about the Blue Jackets uh, as a primary source. So it was good to talk to him about uh, the ins and outs of his career, uh, how he got into and how he does his day-to-day, you know, when it comes to writing for an NHL program. Uh, but it was also nice to talk a little bit about uh, Blue Jackets news. I'm geeked out. Uh, one of my favorite things in sports is the behind-the-scenes, the equipment guys, support staff. And to hear how you go about gaining the trust with the players and, and, and just the day-to-day and things that normal, I'll quote, normal people don't get a chance to see uh, is just fascinating to me. And, and truth be told, I was, I was nervous to have Varen on. Uh, he, as we said before, he interviews people for a living. And here we are, guys that don't interview, yeah. interviewing that guy. So I'm just geeked out completely. I'm, I'm a super fan right now in just hearing the behind the scenes and, and stuff that in a million years, I could probably never get. So it was wonderful to, to listen to him tonight. Right. And it was also nice to hear him talk a little bit about the two goalie system, uh, talk about, you know, um, Tortorello and, and, and all that. So it was, it was good to, to hear from him. I was glad you came on to the, the podcast. It's nice to get the high level reporter to come on and talk about uh, what we all like in uh state of Ohio or is our Columbus Blue Jackets. Absolutely. All right. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in. You can now find On Air on Spotify and Apple Podcast. We would like to thank our guest today, Sebastian Ragno from the Mentor Icebreakers, as well as Aaron Portsline from the Athletic and the Columbus Blue Jackets for joining us today. Check us out next week. We will be joined by head coach of the Gilmore Academy women's prep team, Shauna Conway, as well as assistant coach of the Cleveland Monsters, Trent Vogelhuber. Continue to grow the game the best that we can. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. Mr. Worldwide to infinity. <laughs> you know the roof on fire. We go boogie, oogie, oogie, jiggle, wiggle, and dance. <laughs> like the roof on fire. We go drink drinks and take shots until we fall out. Like the roof on fire. 
Now baby, get my booty naked, take off all your clothes and light the roof on fire. Tell her, tell her, baby, 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 I'm on fire. I tell her, baby, 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 I'm a fireball. 